Herod Philip was governor when I was born in Bethsaida, house of the fisher. So you can imagine what I did for a living. I was proud of my hometown, capital city on the northeastern shore of the Galilee, not far from where the Jordan River runs in. My father calls me Andrew, so that should tell you something. It's a Greek name, not Hebrew. Bethsaida being a Greek city even before the Romans, Jews and Gentiles, living side by side for generations. So I grew up influenced by both. I spoke Greek and Aramaic and enough Latin to get by. Simon Peter was my little brother. Actually, he was bigger than I, more rambunctious, but I was older and smarter. I'd always been serious about religion, teachable and, you know, looking for the Messiah, as we were all trained to do. When I'd find a truth, I'd grasp it, share it enthusiastically. So, when John, the Baptist they called him, passed through, I liked what he had to say, how he said it, direct, passionate. He helped me live a better life by turning around what I'd messed up. So I was baptized by him, radical repentance on my past. Now, years before, Simon and I hooked up with the Zebedee brothers, partners in a fishing business out of Capernaum, our hometown. When I had a chance to catch up with John, it was through him that I met Jesus. As he walked by, John stared real hard at him and yelled, look, there's the Lamb of God. And I thought, wow. With that recommendation, I followed Jesus to the place we were staying near the synagogue, spent time with him, and by the end of the day, knew I'd found what I was looking for. Went home, told Simon about him, and when he met Jesus, he was as impressed as I was. One day, Jesus told me that sharing my feelings with Simon made me the first evangelist, what he called sharing the good news. I really was excited about him and his ideas. He showed me an attitude that made sense of life and religion, tied them together, not as a bunch of laws and rules, but as a way to live. Simon and I sold our share of the business and went with them, but they still let us use the boats, often how we got around. One day in the boat, Jesus told us we'd be fishing for men. Simon was such a force that Jesus nicknamed him Peter, the rock. Must confess that I was honored when Jesus asked me, with Peter, James, and John, to be part of his executive committee, but hadn't counted on the pressures. You see, we lived on a shoestring, never knowing where we'd spend the night, depending on others for food, but we survived, and Peter never lost any weight. We were his advanced team in charge of crowd control. One time I'll never forget. Jesus had been teaching a large crowd of families on the shore, a kind of natural amphitheater that allowed him to speak to a huge crowd and be heard. When we sailed over to Tiberias, we thought they'd simply disperse and go home. But they followed us around the lake. 
Then it got scary. They'd had nothing to eat since breakfast, and you know about hungry crowds. Philip was blunt in his report. We didn't have enough money to buy food for everyone, plus didn't know where to get anything, even if we had the shekels. All I could scrape up was a kid who packed five barley buns and two fish. Still, Jesus had everyone sit down, held up the boy's food, said grace, and started passing it around. The food just kept going. And we ended up with more than we started out with. I asked him, how did you do that? He just shrugged his shoulders and said, who knows? Stuff kept happening like that. He told great stories that people could understand. He really was quite funny. Everyone loved him. Main difference between him and other rabbis was his openness to people outside boundaries. Looking back, I don't think it hurt that I was wearing Greek clothes. I like to think I made him more approachable to foreigners, never wore kafia or anything like that. Didn't matter who you were or what you were, religious or not, lepers, rich or peasant, Jewish or Gentile, blind, deaf, or prostitute, even taxmen, for God's sake. He took time for them, listened to them, talked with them, even ate with them. Total taboo, breaking every holiness code in the books. Not on purpose, just putting people above the rules. I tell you, they go away with a smile on their face and joy in their hearts. Sometimes, We'd spot religious leaders in the crowd taking notes, some excited, some offended by the behavior of this radical rabbi of ours. There was a bunch of us, you know, not just the 12 you've heard about. Well, next day, after the big fish feed, a bunch of people went back to the place where the bread had been eaten. But not finding us there, they got into the boats back to Capernaum looking for Jesus. Now, maybe he was tired, I don't know, but I think he was kind of ticked off. He started answering their questions sarcastically. He said, you're not looking for me, but because of all this bread you wanted to eat. Don't look for food that can't last. He spat at them, really impatient. It wasn't Moses who gave you manna bread from heaven. It was my father who gives you this new bread. Manna, by the way, means what is it? Then identified himself with that manna, that bread, in a way I had never heard him say. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry. Gave me shivers, gives me shivers just to say it. Wondered what the heck was going on inside him. It was like things were dawning on him and he didn't want to go there. But I can tell you, bread took on a whole new meaning. Even though it had been the staple for lunch every day, along with the wine, you know, water is unsafe to drink. Then came Jerusalem, oh my God. Now claims to be God's anointed Messiah were very common in those days. So before Passover, we made the big entrance with Jesus. Starting in Bethany, 
down the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. I tell you, that was thrilling for us country boys. We all absorbed the hosannas that were yelled at him. In Hebrew, hosanna means to save, rescue. Savior comes from that. And many thought he would save us from the Roman occupation. It was a heady time, but he started to sound real paranoid. Warning about deceitful people, wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes, how we'd be beaten, betrayed, how we'd be hated, but to hang in there, even when the hard times start to happen. Bread became more significant as we ate together every day, meals getting quieter. Looking back at our last meal together, I understand better what he was trying to tell us. Hindsight does that. How he'd be with us. After Judas identified him, Jesus was in the hands of the Romans. That's bad. We tried to stay close without getting arrested ourselves. But when Peter claimed not even to know him, I'd never seen my brother so upset. He said, Jesus looked at him so sad, so understanding, it broke Peter's heart. Jesus wasn't ours anymore. He was Rome's. It was all out of control. And the next day, they killed him. We did hang in there, kept his message alive. And just like he figured, some of us got killed for it. But he was the man who showed us the way to God. He told me one day that he couldn't have done much without me and the rest. Still true with you. You're his hands and feet now to make things happen, just like we did. Hang in there. And just like we did, you'll find him in your midst, bringing healing and hope, compassion, feeding the hungry, and here together in the breaking of the bread, be fed. True bread indeed. He's here in the midst of you. In Jesus' name, I wish you peace and joy.